Good morning, everyone. I always love to hear the clamor of the voices kind of echoing across the room there. It means that we're connecting with each other and sharing stories together. And I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. I know Jared already told you thank you. I'm so proud of this church for expressing God's generosity in so many ways with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And you can't know how much of a blessing your giving was this morning in Sweet Life as yesterday they unpacked the trailer and set up. Now we'll have pictures for you next week. And you'll hear more about Guatemala and the things that your giving made possible there. So just, I'm just really proud of you. And I think that Jesus is on a beautiful display in our lives together through that giving. So thank you so much. I get to continue this busted series, okay? And relationships are tough. People are worth it. And how many of you'd say, yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Both sides of that are right. (laughs) And that's why we're talking about this. And today we're talking about the biggest, most important cure that God has given to us that's doable too with his help. It's doable for busted relationships, and that's forgiveness. And I had to begin with this cartoon. Look at what you did. You spilled ice cream on my shoe, and you expect me to forgive you? Excuse me, dear? Okay, how many of you have been in a situation like that? (laughs) It might not have been the ice cream story, but I mean, this is kind of the story of how we get caught in the middle of our own judgments of other people. Looking back at ourselves with that thumb pointed at us. God's so good to to bring us up on that. But true story. Fran was doing her dishes. Yes, the old-fashioned way. She was washing them them at her sink. And, you know, when you're doing a task like that, your mind just kind of wanders. And hers wandered to a person who had wronged her. And she began to fume and to stew about this person. And she was just thinking, like, "Why why should I have to forgive somebody who'd do something like that? And just at that moment, literally, the plant of potted fern that was hanging above her kitchen sink fell and landed on her head. The clay pot broke. The dirt went everywhere. Her head, the sink, the floor. And she said, okay, God, I get the message. Thanks for planting the idea of forgiveness in my head. I'll forgive her. Well, my question that I want you to consider Uh, before we start is this. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Do you have somebody who takes up mental space? You rehearse the story. You find yourself thinking about it. Do you think about that painful relationship more than you think about the good things that are going on in your life? Is there someone that when you think about the relationship with them, you become either physically or emotionally uncomfortable or upset? Is there someone who you find yourself telling the story about what happened to you at their hands over and over again? Oh, not to somebody around you, but in your head? Well, then, today, Jesus wants to talk to you. And I think that usually encompasses a lot of us. I hope that today's talk will help all of us think about forgiving those who have hurt us. Not just thinking about it, but actually acting on it. No more renting space in our heads to people who have wronged us, no matter how recent or how distant that hurt may have been. You see, 
the big story in God's big story. The big deal is forgiveness. It's central to a story from the opening pages. God understood that all of us were going to blow it. We were going to sin. We we're going to go our own way and that he was going to have to bail us out. The thing is, he didn't just post bail and then wait for all of us to show up in his celestial court. Right? And, and appear before him. No, instead, he did more than post bail. He paid the whole debt. He took care of the whole deal at once for us. And he, by sending his son Jesus, took care of a debt that you and I could never repay. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I are completely forgiven. And today, the big idea that we want to walk out of here thoroughly convinced about from God's word is this, that forgiveness is essential. It's beneficial. It's at the heart of the gospel or the good news. And we absolutely must forgive as messy as it might get at times, as difficult as it might be, as terrible as what you think that person did to you was. Forgiveness is still absolutely essential. So let's read a few of Jesus' words about just how essential he thinks it is. Here in Matthew 6, verse 14, Jesus said this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus said, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. In Luke Chapter 6, verse 37, Jared read this one last week. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I don't know about you. I only read a few verses of where Jesus himself spoke these words to his disciples and those who want to be. But how many ways and how many times can he say it? Forgiveness is essential, beneficial, and not optional. So I think most of us know that it's important to forgive or that we need to forgive. But what does that really mean? Well, I want to just mention, first of all, what it's not. Because this confuses people sometimes. And maybe it's kept you sometimes from forgiving. Because what forgiveness is not is it's not condoning what the other person has done. To condone, to approve or accept another person's behavior or actions as though they were okay. That's not forgiveness. Excusing. Not holding the offender responsible for his or her actions or behavior. Forgetting. If forgetting means that the whole entire incident is removed from my consciousness. Reconciliation. Forgiveness is not a restored relationship with the offender. I think most of us know that we can forgive somebody and restoration is a two-way street. We can come toward them with forgiveness, but they have to accept that. They have to accept that to be reconciled. And so we don't always get reconciliation every time we forgive. It is a goal. It is a hope for. It is a prayed for. But reconciliation is a two-way street. Just like it is with God. He's completely forgiven us in Jesus Christ. But there's people walking around not experiencing that benefit. Because why? Because they haven't said yes to it. They haven't accepted what Jesus did for them. Reconciliation, a two-way street. So forgiveness isn't condoning. It's not excusing. It's not forgetting or reconciling. Then what is it? What does it really mean? Well, the term was used in ancient t- times to send away a personal object. 
kind of like in our day, if we're going through a closet and we're sorting things and we decide, here's the giveaway pile, here's the send away pile. It was used of ending a meeting. Now, what do we call that? In formal terms, in Robert's Rules of Order, it's called adjourning. So this Tuesday night, when I lead the HOA meeting at the end of our meeting, what will I say? The meeting is adjourned. What will everybody do? They'll go away. I'm sending them away. I'm giving them permission to go away. Now, it was also used of an archer who was discharging his arrows, sending them away like some hopeful hunters are into hopefully a deer or whatever they got the tag for. So it was used that way. And legally, it was used of releasing somebody from a legal bond or acquitting somebody. But the word here in the Greek, in all the passages that we'll look at today or in the story and conversation of Jesus that we'll look at, means one thing. It means literally to send something away. I was asked the question, so what am I sending away? I'm sending away my judgment about what that person did, that offense, that wrong, that pain that they caused me. I'm sending that away. Forgiveness is a choice to release another person from our judgment and to let go of negative emotions and attitudes and resulting in an increased ability to bless or treat the offender well. That's the whole definition It gives us the finish line there. The finish line of forgiveness is that you and I would have an increased ability to bless and to treat the person who's hurt us or caused us pain well. So I'd like you to listen in with me on Peter and Jesus' conversation and the story that Jesus told him just to drive home again the point how essential, how important forgiveness is to our whole experience of his abundant life. Let's read in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. It said, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who, sold, who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please, be patient with me and I'll pay it all. And the master, the master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time like he had earlier. He said, be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt was paid in full. Now, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who'd been forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you. If you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. 
Do you think the room was quiet when Jesus said that? I think it got pretty quiet. That's an audacious, radical idea for them. So let's notice several things from this conversation that Jesus had with his followers. And it, and it really addresses some of our questions and questions that people pose to us about forgiveness. Now, I love Peter. He's the brash, outspoken one who often gives voice to, okay, I'm a questioner. So he gives voice to questions and musings, and he can play the fool before I do it, right? Because he asks Jesus stuff that I'm thinking, but he went ahead and said it. Questions like... How many times should I forgive? Like he asked Jesus here. Or do I have to forgive if the person keeps on offending me? Especially if it's the same way over and over. And what if I don't forgive? What's going to happen? These questions all come from the same idea inside of us. The same desire, I would call it, inside of us. And that's our desire to put a boundary or a fence around Forgiving other people. Some limits or some conditions that could excuse me from forgiving that person. But not that person. Well, narrow it down for me a little bit. But Jesus brings us back in this story to the fundamental reason that we forgive repeatedly. Because we've been forgiven by God, past, present, and future. So, let's consider What Jesus is saying to you and me in this conversation he had with his followers. Here's the big first idea. Choose to forgive. We can't afford not to. That's what Jesus was telling. You can't afford not to forgive. Do I need to remind you? So let's consider what happened to this man who refused to forgive his fellow servant after he had been forgiven. He lost his own forgiveness. He lost his own forgiveness. We think that we're going to punish the other person by not forgiving him. But who do we punish? Ourselves. And Jesus was reiterating that. It's us. It costs this man who refused to forgive his fellow servant of something much less. It cost him everything. It cost him his forgiveness. It cost him his freedom. He spent the rest of his life in prison. And it cost him repaying a huge debt that was actually unpayable in a lifetime. And what was Jesus saying? We can't afford not to forgive. Because to refuse to forgive hurts us in every way. Physically, emotionally, socially, and most of all, spiritually. You see, God designed us for forgiveness. It costs us physically. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, it increases Our heart rate raises our blood pressure and increases our stress and our illness when we choose to nurse a grudge, to hang on to a hurt or a pain. One interesting study that was done by Dr. Frederick Luskin, he's actually the head of the Forgiveness Project at Stanford University and did his doctoral dissertation on this and has since gone on to write a lot of books on forgiveness. But he did this interesting study with a bunch of college students and they each one were vetted, first of all, to ensure that they had a recent offense that they... uh, from somebody close to them that they really cared about that they were hanging on to. And then they took them and had them think about that wrong that was done to them. Just rehearse the grudge, if you will. Maybe you've never done that. But they had them do that. And then they would switch, told them to switch gears, and now they wanted to imagine that they had, were forgiving the person. Imagine it, right? They were to think about that. And then they'd go back and say, and now we want you to take another period of time, and we want you to nurse that grudge again. Just rehearse the story of what they did, how you were done wrong. 
And here was the results. Blood pressure, heart rate, and arterial wall pressure, which for you non-medical types is not a good thing for your heart, for that to remain elevated. All of those increased. And furthermore, the students voluntarily offered this, that their muscle tension increased and that they began to feel uncomfortable and out of control when they were nursing the story, rehearsing the grudge that was going on in their life. Refusing to forgive and even or even imagining forgiveness resulted or generated these physical symptoms, reactions, if you will. Unforgiveness yielded negative symptoms. Forgiveness yielded positive, measurable, statistically valid benefits. Another study from the University of Tennessee and the University of Wisconsin at Madison that they partnered together in discovered that forgiveness... People who forgave had fewer medically diagnosed chronic illnesses and fewer symptoms of physical illnesses across their life. So we know it costs us physically, but it also costs us emotionally. Because when we refuse to forgive, we surrender emotional control to that person of our life. They actually are in charge. They have the remote control on your emotions by what they did. And we let them, that person that's offended us, dictate the terms of our happiness, our joy, our peace in the Lord. And we stunt our emotional capacity to positively engage with other people. When we forgive, we take back control. And we experience a whole host of wonderful emotional benefits. Now, interestingly, this Dr. Frederick Luskin, because I read his book, Forgive for Good... It was, it was wonderful to read about his initial research. And you know where it happened? It happened in Northern Ireland, a long-standing conflict. And he researched young adults and parents, middle-aged parents, who had lost a child or lost someone in their family, their immediate family, to that conflict. And he taught them how to forgive. And here's what happens. His study found that the people who were taught to forgive became less angry, more optimistic, more compassionate, and more confident. And they carried a lot less stress. Hugely less. So some of us right now are going, okay, that's a duh, huh, Anne? Right? That makes sense? Does it make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, but I want you to have all the information. Because God created a spirit, soul, and body. And sometimes we think that when we don't forgive or when we forgive that it only affects one part of me. That it's not really making a difference in my life. And I'm here to... Let us know that it's making a difference across our life. Another study that was done in England by Tom, Dr. Tom Farrow, he took high resonance MRIs of the brain of people as they were forgiving. And here's what he found. He found that when people are forgiving, they're tapping into the prefrontal cortex, the executive part of their brain that rules problem-solving and complex thinking. So their thinking was clearer and sounder. It not only cost us emotionally, it costs us socially. Because without forgiveness, you and I cannot experience honest relationships. We can't really tell the truth if we're not going to move toward forgiveness. When we refuse to forgive, we create a blacklist. That was a 12th century term that kind of made its way into the 21st century. And it's a list that meant a a whole list of names that one keeps about people who deserve to be punished. Have you ever had a blacklist? (laughs) Even a short one? 
It probably wasn't written down. It's in here. It's in here. And it costs us socially because we then experience what this guy did. He took his blacklist all the way to the grave with him. And his got pretty long. I have to have us laugh somewhere in here, you guys. But honestly, that does happen. Jared and I, we were probably about 30 years old when we uh, realized, boy, we need to not keep a blacklist. And we actually explicitly talked to each other and said, we agree. We're going to help each other across our marriage. We're not going to keep a blacklist between us, and we're not going to keep a blacklist on other people. And you know what? We all need people to help us do this, by the way. And there's, there's nobody better than somebody in your immediate family or a roommate, somebody that you're close to. But we agreed to do this. And I want you to know that we have ha- had to help each other on many occasions burn the blacklist. Burn the blacklist. Just get rid of it. And that brings us to that fourth part, the most important part. It costs us spiritually when we refuse to get, forgive. Listen to verse 35 again. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus said that you and I can forfeit our forgiveness by refusing to give others. Let's take a look back at this story that he told. In this story, you are and I am the servant with the huge debt. And God is the king. And the size of our debt is unthinkable. You see, a talent, that's a measure of weight and it was worth or equivalent of about 100 pounds. And if you took a talent of silver in that day, 100 pounds of silver, that was the equivalent of a lifetime's wages. But that's just one talent. How many talents did he owe? 10,000 talents. His debt was the equivalent of 10,000 lifetimes of wages in that day. And that's what the people listening to Jesus tell this story would have known. And he said to the king, be patient with me and I'll repay everything. Was that even possible? No, it was not possible. So this debt represents our sins before God. It's huge. More than you and I can imagine. And God has generously forgiven all of them. Now, I'm here to let you know, no one needs God's forgiveness more than me. But the other is true, too. No one needs God's forgiveness more than you. You see, we're all that servant with the 10,000 lifetime of wages debt. We need God's forgiveness. What my debt to God is beyond my comprehension and my ability to repay, but he forgives it all. And whatever others have done to me pales in comparison. You see, that's the second part of the story that Jesus told. Because now this servant who'd been forgiven 10,000 lifetimes of wages by the king goes out and finds this guy who owes him 100 denarii. And what was that? That was a few days wages, as in 100 days wages, right? Several months worth compared to 10,000 lifetimes of wages. So what was Jesus' point? His point was this. That whatever others have done to you, whatever others have done to me, it's far less than what you and I have done to God. And he has forgiven us everything. So Korah 
is a wife and a mom with two young girls now. I've known her most of her life, and when she was 16 years old with a newly minted driver's license, she wanted to get some practice in, so she asked if she could drive the family on their usual weekly trip to get product for their health food store, and they were driving to Eugene. But tragically, in a moment of indecision about which way to turn, she hit a bridge abutment on the Ferry Street Bridge. It killed her mom and seriously injured her and her brother and her dad. Now, the family stumbled their way forward toward physical recovery. But the emotional and the spiritual recovery was difficult. In fact, for Cora's dad, it was overwhelming. And he refused to forgive his daughter. And he cut her off. And she lived like an exile till she went to college. And a couple years into college is when her and I got together at a retreat I was speaking at in Bend. And she came and said, could I meet with you? And we sat down and she began to tell me with tears in her eyes about her dad. And as we talked about forgiveness and how much God's forgiven us and how she, in order to be free, would need to release her dad, from her judgment. She asked me this question. She said, why do I have to be the adult? As hard as it was, Cora knew exactly what she needed to do. She needed to forgive. It was the only way she was going to be able to move forward in life. And she did, right there, begin that process as we prayed together. And she started the healing process of being independent, free from whatever her dad's response would be to her then and in the future. So Cora finished college. She got married. She has two kids. They have a great farm outside on the edge of Eugene. Who's missing out in this picture? Her dad. By his refusal to forgive, Cora is thriving. That's why forgiveness is essential. So that brings us to the question, how should we handle repeat offenses? I have a way that I like to tell myself, it's my own little saying to myself, treat each one like the first one. Treat each one like the first one. Anybody ever find that hard? Especially if it's the same offense? You know, after a while, that can feel old. But guess what? Jesus does not delineate any other process in Scripture for releasing people from our judgment. Forgiveness is forgiveness, whether it's the first offense or the thousandth or the seven times 77th offense. Now, I kind of relate to what C.S. Lewis, a wonderful author and theologian from the past, noted. He said, sometimes a single great injury is easier to forgive than the incessant provocations of daily life. To keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, sorry, mothers-in-law, I didn't have that, a bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish child or deceitful child or deceitful sibling. Can anybody relate? Just those daily things? But this is where a lot of forgiveness takes place. It's in what I call the dailies. 
These little things that irritate us or hurt us or cause us pain. And they begin to add up because we think we don't have to deal with them as each one comes our way. We don't address it with forgiveness. So just to, you know, there's, we excuse ourselves in all for, different ways for forgiveness, okay? My family's really competitive and we like to play games. And um, we like to play card games a lot, too, but board games as well. And we trash talk. We do serious trash talking. And I play a lot of games with my mom. And here's my mom, who I call the national treasure. She's sitting out here. And the Lord just told me, you know, as I've, as I've been preparing the last two weeks, you know, I am out of line with some of the things I say when I'm playing a game. And to my own mother. Okay, I have been known to call her a turd bucket, Okay. <laughs> Just saying. I won't go to the rest of them. She knows it's true. She's sitting out there. So I can laugh that off. But here's what the Lord reminded me. He said, your mom has listened to a lot of uh, words across her life when she was married to your dad that, that put her down. Do you want to add to that, even in fun? Or do you want to be the person that blesses? What kind of wake do you want to leave? Forgiveness is essential. My mom has been an amazing forgiver. Thanks. So what if the other person isn't sorry? I mean, that happens a lot. What if they're not even aware of what they've done to us? Forgiveness can be fully accomplished whether or not the offender ever acknowledges or even seems to be aware of what they've done to hurt us. And this is an uncommon. This is something that Jesus had to start teaching me because I'm a learner on the road with all of you. As a teenager growing up in the home of an alcoholic dad. Because you see, the very nature of addiction means that there are going to be repeated painful incidents that happen to those around them and to them. Things that really hurt us. Now, I wanted to um, treat these incidents with my dad like uh, our favorite method of cleaning when we're in a hurry. I call it the one fell sweep. You sweep your, you're cleaning off a counter and you just sweep your arm across it and you have a drawer open just beneath it or a box and it all goes in there. It's beautiful. The counter looks good. I don't know what's wrong with that. You move that box somewhere else where people aren't going to see it, right? Well, that's how I wanted to do the clean sweep. But the, the problem with this is that one time cannot take care of all of it. I have to go to God each time something painful happens. And this is what he told me. He said, I want you to voice your forgiveness of your dad to me each time something painful happens. Instead of compartmentalizing it into what I call my private drawer of pain. I needed to see my dad in Christ before he was there. I shared with my dad the incredible love that God had for him and the open arms that Jesus was waiting for him in and that forgiveness was available to him just like it was to us, that we were all sinners together. But I might never have been able to do that had God not helped me to forgive repeatedly across my growing up years as I have been forgiven so much more. If you're a cook, you might think of it in these terms, because I kind of think that way sometimes. I, I like to prepare meals for people. Don't leave any leftovers to be reheated. 
No one needs forgiveness more than me. God has forgiven me everything. So some of you might be saying, yeah, Anne, but when I truly forgive someone, does it mean that I'll forget what he or she has done? Doesn't the Bible say that God will forgive and forget? Well, there are some verses that talk about this. There are quite a bit of places and metaphors that are used, in fact, to describe how great God is at doing this. And one of those is Jeremiah 31, 34, where he says, and I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll never again remember their sins. Doesn't that sound good? Just hearing that? That sounds good to me. And the Hebrew word there is to, means to call to mind for the purposes of rewarding or punishment. Hebrews 8, 12, New Testament says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Quoting back from the Old Testament. But the Greek word that's used here means similarly to, to record or call to mind. And this brings to mind Paul's words to the church at Corinth where he describes God's love as a love that keeps no record of wrongs. And the word that's used there is like an accountant's ledger, if you will. It's an Excel spreadsheet. And what it's telling us is that God does not keep an Excel spreadsheet on our lives with all of the stuff that we've gotten wrong. It's that blacklist idea again. How many of you are glad about that? I mean, I am so thankful for that. So then, what does that mean for us? God does forgive and forget, but we don't. The Bible is filled with accounts of people who remembered what others had done to them, even after forgiving them. But they remembered differently than before. We don't forget what happened, but we remember it differently. The focus of our memory is no longer the wrong that was done, but the healing aftermath. And the goodness of God's work in us and for us in the middle of that. I like how author Lewis Smedes puts it. He said, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. And I love that. That's what Jesus helps us to do. So, Remember the definition of what it means to forgive in that finish line that says that when I've forgiven somebody that going full circle means that I'll let go of negative emotions and attitudes with an increased ability to bless and or treat the offender well. Well, forgiveness is the decision that sets that healing motion in process. And that brings us to one of our final questions. Some of us ask ourselves, how can I handle that residual sadness and anger that comes to me? When I think I've truly forgiven, and I still deal with that. Holocaust survivor, Corey Tamboom was asked this very question once. The woman asked her, I've forgiven the person who wronged me, but I still feel badly. So I, have I really not forgiven? Now, Corey asked this lady if she'd ever rung a bell in a church tower. You have to remember, these are Europeans speaking to each other, right? They do a lot of that. She said, after you let go of the rope, what happens? The bell keeps ringing slower and slower, quieter and quieter until it stops. And Corey said, forgiveness is like that. You choose to let go of the rope. That's forgiveness. But the bell keeps ringing for for a while after that from inertia. That's your emotions. But if you've let go of the rope, eventually the bell will stop ringing. Make a choice. Forgiveness starts in the will, 
Make the choice and your feelings will follow. Let go of the rope. So how do we get to the point that we can bless and treat that other person well, no matter what they've done to us? Because that is the finish line. I want to make it. I want to finish well when it comes to forgiving people. Jesus gives us a really simple prescription. Well, it's simple, but I won't begin to say that it's always easy. In Luke 6, verse 27, listen to his prescription. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. What's Jesus' prescription for treating and blessing someone who's wronged or hurt us? It's don't walk away or ignore the relationship. Do something good for the person. So I need to see how many baseball fans do we have out there? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, and you guys are statistics experts. That attracts you to that sport even. So you probably remember third baseman for the Boston Red Sox, a Hall of Famer, Wade Boggs. Yeah, yeah, and... This is the thing. He used to hate going to Yankee Stadium. Oh, it wasn't because of the Yankee fans. It was because of one fan. That's right. One fan in thousands just got his goat. This guy had a box seat. It was close to the field. And every time when he had come out to warm up and to prep for the game, this guy would shout obscenities and insults, just anything he could think of, unrepeatable stuff. Now, it's hard to imagine that one fan out of thousands, because it's certainly not the only person who ever badmouthed Wade Boggs, right? But this guy was incessant, persistent, unstoppable. So one day, Boggs, as he was warming up, this fan began to taunt him again. Boggs, you stink, and variations on that theme that are not repeatable. And Boggs decided that he'd had enough, and he walked directly over to the guy's box seat, And he said, hey, buddy, are you the guy who's been taunting me week after week? And that guy said, yeah, it's me. What are you going to do about it? And he reached in his back pocket of his uniform, pulled out a brand new ball and a pen and autographed it and handed it to this taunting fan. What happened? The man never yelled at Boggs again. He became his best fan at Yankee Field. The best way to turn an offender into a friend, the best possibility of doing that comes when we bring forgiveness full circle and do good to him or her. We know that our healing process has really come full circle when we can respond to the other person in a way that befits, that really fits their context, right? Domestic violence survivor Pascal Kavanaugh, she never thought she would ever reconnect with her mom who was her abuser. During her adult life, however, in 2010, her mom had a series of strokes that rendered her unable to communicate or care for herself. And there was no one else except the state to do this. And so she made a difficult decision. She chose to be the one. And as she began to care for her mom, and every day she would sit with her and read to her. And she describes that as she sat and read to her, she felt her grudge, her unforgiveness, all of it just dissipating. And she began to see her mom in a whole new way. Forgiveness began to flow and she had a peace that she had never had. And for the first time in her life, she let go of the rope. And she was healed spiritually and emotionally. So Ruth Bell Graham, one of my heroes um, ahead of me in life, who's now with Jesus I love this quote from her, a good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And I would take it further with you today. A good friendship 
is the result of two good forgivers. A good co-worker relationship is the result of two good forgivers. A good sibling relationship is the result of two good forgivers. A good parent-child or other family relationship is the result of two good forgivers. Any healthy relationship is the result of two good forgivers. Are you ready to take your next step today? I want to just suggest one of these four options. Choose to forgive. Burn the blacklist. Let go of the rope. Do something good for the person who's offended you. Would you pray with me as the band comes?